The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to the Slate Political Gab Fest for December 29th, 2016, the Conundrum Gab Fest. We're live at the Bell House in New York before a sold-out crowd. Before a sold-out crowd. Before a sold-out crowd of morally confounded Brooklynites who are all wondering if it is ethical to get their I'm with her tattoos laser removed before the, the Trump capos spot them. I'm David Plotz of Atlas Obscura. I am joined on stage to my immediate left by Emily Bazelon of the New York Times Magazine. Hello, Emily. Hello. And to Emily's left, John Dickerson of Face the Nation. On this week's GabFest, if you could make one legal thing illegal, what would it be? Is it worse to cut down a tree or kill a dog? Should you make America better by marrying someone with reprehensible political beliefs? What's the best way to lie to avoid a social situation you don't want to be in? And more conundrums from you and from our live audience. And in Slate Plus, we'll do even more conundrums. If you are not yet a Slate Plus member, go to slate.com slash GabFestPlus. One of our most popular conundrums ever was, would you rather be a fish or a tree? Different one today. Different one today. Is it worse to cut down a tree or to kill a fish or a dog? What, what do you think? Don't you think it's a big difference whether it's a fish or a dog? Yeah. Good like, question. Killing okay. a fish, I don't bat an eye and picking the fish. I have to think about the dog. Do you? Well, I just want to go back to the historical record, which is that when we asked the fish tree... I, I gave the only right answer, which was dolphin. <laughs> and you've already, and I was roundly criticized for adding dolphin in because it's dolphin might as well be a fish. It's not a fish. But, okay. Anyway, but you added dog immediately. Yeah, to, so, do, what, well, what do you think? Is, is You think it's definitely better to kill a fish than to cut down a tree? Yeah, I think we have to change the question. The dog question is more, more, is harder for do me. Do you think, what about What if dog? it's a goldfish? <laughs> Like whatever. What if it's a what if it's a what if it's a three hundred year old tuna? Lived a That's not so, there is not that's there is no such thing, I no. feel yeah. strongly. Yeah, this is a Forget the fit. I mean really would Okay, you what about a dog? What about a dog? The I dog. think it I it's better to kill the dog. I think it's probably utilitarian what kind of tree is it, it is, but what kind of tree and how big and yeah, where so, I mean, is it? Are we talking about a redwood or are we talking about some What about like, like an oak tree ambitious on a city weed. street? An oak tree on a city street? Yeah, or in the park. That's a song. Uh, I it? think, no. I think an oak tree on a city street is, gets spe- because you want urban, urban trees are very valuable. What if it's just a regular oak tree in the middle of a forest? Mm, right. Yeah. I mean, right, and then it well, can just then, goes back into the soil and regenerates and another tree comes up. Because it seems like, okay, the argument for the tree is that it took a long time and a lot of effort on the part of lots of organisms to create that tree, and less on the part of the dog. It has a shorter life. So that's the utilitarian pro-tree argument. But in the well, middle of the... But, but, but Emily, the dog, unless this dog is just some random stray dog or it's a dog at a, a at a shelter that's going to be put down anyway this is a dog that is that is beloved by some people right. it's like it's shelter dog. dog like if it's john's dog then we pick the tree right of course george would be very upset well, if you euth- <laughs> euthanized him 
if there were a tree in your yard, John, a beautiful big tree in your yard, and it was that or the dog. Well, there's the better. That's the sharper question. And, okay. Yes. And what's the answer? Because we your don't kids have dogs. Are listening. Oh, and our actual dog? Oh, yeah. the tree would be, the tree right. wouldn't have a chance. Yeah. George, you can't imagine what George has done for the family My, life. Two crucial things. This is why you can't, you can't name a specific dog, because then doesn't that just totally put it on I, the right, dog's it's side? Only when it's some well, what if, it, what if it was a specific tree? What if it was a... So you now know, it's the, a tree with a story. It's a tree with a story, point. or the tree that my parents have a beautiful, huge tree that's right next to their house. It's going to fall on the house one day. <laughs> we should have cut it down and not killed that dog, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but I, that, that tree, I, I definitely would, well, would kill... Have you ever had a pet that you would kill? Well, actually, you don't like your cats, so that's not a good <laughs> question for you. Have you ever had a relationship with a dog that you would no. kill the dog? No, I guess not. No, because the dog is almost, I mean, the dog is a member of your family. You totally. Don't and the tree the, is not a member of your family. The great thing about the dog is when you have surly teenagers, the conversation about the dog is the one thing you can roughly all agree but, on. And what if they, what if the, but what is that? But what if the, the tree, the, the tree dog. is home to a, to a family of, of hawks? Of goshawks. Well, I mean, you can gussy up the story however you want. Well, it, the tree know, is home to organisms and young and, and young hobbits nap under the shade <laughs> of its possibly of its singing boughs. Well, I mean, I think we've lost the thread. If it's an abstract dog, like in a pack of dogs, and some beautiful tree, we pick the tree, but only because we don't know the dog. Once you know the dog and care about the dog, you don't kill the dog anymore. Hmm. And, okay, we're going to now do quick audience. Would you kill the dog or the tree? Well, first we'll ask, would you kill the dog? Would you kill the tree? This, this is why a tree does not grow in Brooklyn. <laughs> I guess the Trump uh, environmental policy is going to be successful. Okay, let's move on. If suspended animation, this is from Randy Plant via email. <laughs> That's a great name. Randy Randy Plant. If suspended animation were perfected and you could safely awaken unchanged after years of sleep, would you do it? If so, how far in the future would you want to go? Or in the past? So do you get to take your family with you? I can't Wait. answer Sorry. This. Yes, you let's say okay. you can take your family you with you. Take your family with yeah, you. Yeah, because that would make it too right. Okay, so you can take your family with you. So okay, so then what you're you're, then the question is about whether you want to bet on the future because you're hopeful or curious about it, and whether all the other things that are familiar in your life you're willing to let go. Right. Yes. So that's yeah. much more interesting. So it's easy for me to dismiss this idea if I thought I had to abandon my family. I wasn't going right. to do well, that. Then, right. But yeah. now I get to take them. But now if you, if you pick too many years in the future, you may wake up in a time where you have to sell members of your family. Right, or there but could it, only be cockroaches. Right. And well, but me. don't you think? I mean, there is this thing. I think if you ask, would you rather go to the past or the future? To me, it's always you'd rather go to the future. The past was much worse. Everything is generally getting better. So don't you kind of assume that things are generally going to get better? You'll be live longer, you know, better food. Ge hmm. The generally things improve now. Like obviously, this there are moments moment when things of get worse. Difficulty for that, both because of climate change and also the world's growing perhaps appetite for authoritarianism. It's making me feel more nervous about that Don't you think that's like beards that'll just go out of fashion? And if you wait long enough, authoritarianism will be totally passe. I really hope so. 
But Here's do you want to take a bet on If you are a minority in America, oh, how many years from now? 2050. Sorry. Wow. <laughs> you anticipated, oh, you went to the future just so you could answer I my question. I went to the future. What was what the was question? So the question was, how many years in the future will you be able to actually afford nostalgia? So in other words, if you're an African-American, you can't be nostalgic about like the 1880s. Or right? even the, or the 1960s. 1960s. Right. So when do you get, when, how, because then it's not just what, like you can imagine when will we have, you know, true equality for everyone. That's A. But then B is when you can be, once you hit that point, then you have to have some number of years uh, after which you could then be nostalgic. Well, about but I think period. people have an enormous capacity to be nostalgic under almost any circumstance. They can always look back. And but and, no, I mean, and I think if you know I think if you're you know they're Jews who look back nostalgically to to a halcyon 1950s which doesn't seem to make sense to me no um, <laughs> more than a hundred a hundred seems to me like the max out I would want to go without worrying about things being too dystopic or unrecognizable but maybe I, that's kind of like maybe it would be better to be like 500 years in the future I don't want to do this at all. No, you want to stay. Yeah. Why? Because I'm basically stuck in a rut. How about because you're basically fulfilled? Well, there's that. If that were true, yeah. yeah. No, no. That's. I think that's probably. I think that's probably true. You're Although still I'm hosting Face the Nation in the future, John. Yeah. Uh, I think and your audience will be really, really audience, old. The audience will be 270. That's. We're winning in the demographic, <laughs> which is 100 to 150. Um, the uh, that was not a joke about face the nation. That was a joke about getting older. It was too. Uh, what about you? I think I and and do you get to come back or not? I definitely would go if you. No, you got no, to come that back. you shouldn't you be able to come, come back. back. No, you got to come back. That's too easy. Of course, oh, you then go definitely back. would not go. Would not go because you're afraid of things getting worse, or because you like your life the way it is now. I like my life more or less. I mean, I, it's, I, there are certainly things I could improve. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. Do I don't think that going to the future you, would necessarily a lot to make give that up better. That you, I, I feel very curious about what it's going right. to be like. like. It's hard for me to give up the wind, the glimpse. Right. That's why. If that's I could why you want to come back. You want to come back. Well, yeah. Of course but I would not. This, not is, this is kind right. of like the one-way trip to Mars. I would never. Why would you take a one-way trip to Mars? That would be right. terrible. Right. All right. <laughs> Um, okay, we're going to go to our first audience question. Uh, Jody Avergan, where are you? Hey, Jody. Jody. Jody, who's a presider of many great podcasts, but one that's called Ask Roulette. He has a, an Ask Roulette question. What direction do you face in the shower? I would like to say I don't think this is a conundrum, but it's an excellent question. Oh, what, direction, what direction should one face in the shower? Okay, there you go. Thank you. I face, I face kind of sideways. But always really? to my Why? left, sh- my left shoulder. Is always your shower my le- really small or narrow? Why would you do that? Don't you like the feeling of the water on your back? I feel totally un uh, ambivalent about this. What's, like, you have a clear view. What's the clear I've view? Never, I always have my back to the water because I like the feeling of the water hitting my back. No. That's not a. I don't like to turn around at all. Then I get water in my mouth. All kinds <laughs> of things happen. I like to place my face right on the shower head and then turn it on. It's a very, it's a, the cheap exfoliation. Uh, gosh, I hadn't, uh, well, okay, so here is a challenge that may uh, inform my thinking. 
which is that our shower is built at the edge of the house. And so in the winter, the wall at the exterior of the house is Cold. freezing. So you do everything you can not to touch it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, well, you have to just start the shower, you know, and let it... Uh, let it run for a while before it gets warm in there. I don't know that I've I don't know that I've formed an opinion or can You just like stand any old way? You don't have a pattern? I'm so? sure I have a deeply systemic pattern, but I haven't focused on it. I, uh, I, I think I crossed I've probably... my arms, I just realized. Yeah. What? Yeah. Why? Aren't you I don't know. Soap it's up? some kind of heat retain retention. Huh. God. That's really st- But do you not move around? I mean you can't have it against your back the whole time. But I really like, I just, yeah, I, I don't like having to turn around and get things. I always try to get back to that oh. position as quickly as possible. So the audience, so your choice will have vocal responses. One is face forward, two is face backward, three is uh, sideways like plots, and four is all over the place. So who faces forward? <laughs> who faces backward? <laughs> who faces sideways? And and who wiggles around? (laughs) Don't make it seem so... It's not wiggling around. (laughs) You've got plenty of cheers. Don't worry. (laughs) Here's one. John, you don't have to answer this. Would you rather marry Ted Cruz or Tom Cruise? I don't know why John is off the hook, but you don't have to answer if you don't want to. The deciding factor for me is that, like, basset hound floppy droopy face that Ted Cruz has I just don't think I could I mean Ted yeah Ted Ted Cruz Cruz has I don't think I could look at that although I definitely think that Tom Cruise is crazier and I'd be more scared about the Scientology part of it oh my so you basically you're deciding you'd marry you're deciding you'd marry Tom Cruise because he's he's better looking yeah well that's obviously (laughs) true but I no it's like a particular aversion to that what about you it's Ted Cruz in a walkover. One, Ted Cruz is successfully married. He has children. Tom so, Cruise has a child. Um, that's true, but he's not successfully married. He's yeah, highly well, unsuccessfully that's married. Because he hasn't met me or you yet. Good point. Who is he more likely to marry? Another question, me or you. Um, so... No, Ted Cruz is like married to a woman who appears to be normal and appears to be appears to be happily married to him, which is good evidence. But he's odious. But Tom Cruise is also odious. Tom Cruise is, a, is, is a, you know the acolyte of a totally horrific, you know. Right, but I think I'm more interested in Hollywood. Like if I was like think of the party, you get to go to some fun parties with Tom Cruise. Ted Cruz, not so much. This episode of the GapFest is sponsored by Aura Frames. Are you ready to win Mother's Day? Cement your reputation as the best gift giver in your family. Give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. That mom will love looking back on childhood memories, seeing you what you're up to today, checking out grandkids, checking out cousins, and even better with unlimited storage and an easy to use app, you can keep on updating your mom's frame with new photos so that it's a gift that keeps on giving. This is how I live in my family. I gave my mother an aura frame. It was either for Mother's Day or for her birthday. She absolutely adores it. She's constantly hectoring me to update it with more photos, which I do. I also gave my girlfriend's mother an aura frame. 
And I hope she hectors my girlfriend to update it with more photos. But it is a present that will bring absolute delight to a mother in your life. And they have a great deal for Mother's Day. GapFest listeners can save on this perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code GABFEST at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, next audience question. Joni D. Are you in the house, Joni D? I am. If you, can you come to the mic? How, how much accommodation is a home chef expected to do during the holiday cooking? When you're cooking for a crowd, mm-hmm. how much accommodation? You should do some accommodating. I think, I don't think, I don't think that you are obliged to have a gluten free Thanksgiving or a vegan Thanksgiving or a a lactose free Thanksgiving. I think you're obliged to offer some refreshment for someone who is gluten intolerant and lactose intolerant and vegetarian, but they cannot impose that their will on everybody, but they can, you should accommodate them with some. Um, some number of dishes. If you're already doing significant cooking, you do a little bit extra to make sure that there's something, a couple of things that they're going to be happy eating. Do you need to tell vegetarians that there's chicken stock? Yeah. <laughs> what about if your favorite dish has butter in it and you know there's someone who doesn't eat butter and you could make it with margarine or whatever and... It no, would you taste don't have to make, as no, good, but they not. would eat it. Even if they look at you sadly. Sorry, every, the flaw this, in your theory is it tastes as good. So it doesn't taste as good, but Oh, I'm sorry. I missed that. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Even if they look at you sadly year after year? No, no. They've made their choice. They've made their life choices. And they, like, they live in a state of, they live in a state of moral superiority to you. <laughs> that should be sustenance like, enough. Should, that should be sustenance enough. Exactly. Like well said. pretty... If it's still good, like if it's bad, okay, no. But I think if it's like goes from being an A to a B plus, then you change the ingredients. Well, I think it's fine. You could make another one. You could make a second one. This oh, this oh, is our these are ma- labor, our, our mashed potatoes, and here are our our lactose well, free mashed potatoes. But what if it's potatoes? like bread, and so you're ma- that's like a project. You're not going to make what it. bread would be better with any of these things removed? Now, I didn't say it would be better, but it would be edible. It would be what. Fine. Well, I was thinking of challah in particular. So but a challah what? With milk and butter oh. as opposed to margarine and water. Eggs to eggs are in challah too. Yeah, yeah, no, forget You can't make it without the eggs. It's not challah anymore. Uh. You could make something, but not that. Anyway. What's your answer, John? If you know you have somebody there who doesn't eat meat, you make the fish option or you make the portobello mushroom option of the grilled thing you're making. And then they say uh, at a Thanksgiving where everybody might bring a meal, we'll say, you know... Uh, like my uh, nephew who brought his tofu turkey uh, sort of substitute, that was, you know, he was like, I'll bring it because I don't want to burden. And so then you both are showing on a, you know, your uh, fellow feeling for the other, and it's a moment of national unity. I think the most, my main appeal on this is to tell the home chef in advance. My worst hosting moments have been when people have walked in my door and announced, like, they're allergic to fish, which is the main... Oh, sorry. Oh, don't worry. Yeah, right. So that's the worst. That's the worst. And then you're basically being a bad host, but it's really not your fault. That is really... Yeah. But do you actually feel responsible when that person does that? That, When someone is at your house for dinner and the main... They can't eat the main dish and there's, like, salad and, I don't know, 
Brussels sprouts or cauliflower. Or something. Yes, I feel worried about that person. No. Salad. And- no. Are you, are Joni D, are you satisfied? Very satisfied. I'll come over anytime. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, okay. Did you ever have a moment in your life where you made a decision, a small decision that ended up changing the rest of your life? Like there's something you, you ended up doing, didn't know you were, would turn out to be, and it turned out to be enormous. 27 years ago at about this time, I was at uh, college and there was a party, a uh, holiday party. And the person I was sort of dating at the time couldn't go to that party. So I had to find a date. Her loss. So I asked a friend of mine who I'd, uh, was a, a woman who was a friend of, of a couple of years. We'd had an art history class together. She also had a party that she needed a date to. So it was great. We each had like, we we're each helping each other out on this night. At the time, the tradition, the norm was that you bring a bottle to the party. So we got a bottle of Southern Comfort. And, uh, and we brought the bottle to the party. That was all we brought was the bottle because it was empty. So that was uh, 27 years ago. We've now been married for 21 years. <laughs> uh, and does your ex-girlfriend feel glad that she happened not to be free that night? Yeah. Uh, it wasn't that serious. It wasn't that, uh, that but, serious. But here, well, why do you think... But John, why is that a moment? I mean, well, you guys went to college together. Why? Why wouldn't it, that you guys have met? I mean, all of us met our spouses. The three of us met our spouses, and we wouldn't. We would have met them in some other fashion, perhaps. But why is that something which irrevocably, you def- definitively would never have met Anne and never? Well, no, I, I met her. She was a friend, and but she we brought, we might very well have made, continued being hmm. being friends, you know, and not uh, had we not had that forcing instant instance to go and actually go out on a date together which because it was just basically we were taking care of each other's social obligations we might have just gone on and kept being friends and so did you uh, have a little bit of anticipation before the date like hmm that's what the southern comfort was about um (laughs) um you know i can't i can't remember i can't remember anything from the no um yeah, I'm sure I did, but it might it might we might also have just been fooling ourselves. So, I don't know. Well, I don't really want to follow that. This is so much more like mundane and petty, but um I'll go ahead anyway. Uh so when I was in high school, I played tennis uh for my school and I played tournaments on the weekend sometimes, but I really I had a, well, really a hate relationship. It wasn't something I chose. It was something that my dad in particular really wanted me to do. So when I, but it was very much a part of my life. It was really the only sport that I know how to play still, alas for me. And so when I went to college, I could, there's no way I was going to make the varsity team, but there was a JV team that I was part of freshman year. And it was very comforting to have that routine. It was a routine I was really used to. And then my sophomore year, the JV team got cut and I wasn't good enough to play varsity. So I stopped playing tennis and I really stopped because I didn't live near tennis courts anymore. It wasn't like, and it was the most liberating thing. Um, I started doing writing for the college magazine and I started working at the women's center and I got a job all and got to be better friends, moved off campus. All the Things about college that then became important to my professional and personal life kind of followed from that. And like, what if they hadn't cut the JV team? I'm so grateful to you, Yale University, for cutting the JV women's tennis team that year. That was really helpful. That's right. Screw title name. Um, 
trying to think if I have one. I I guess I mine is mine is tediously professional, which is that I in I think it was two thousand or two thousand one. I was up for a job to editing the city paper, the alternative weekly in Washington, where I had uh, cut my teeth as a journalist. And I was offered the job. I was really excited to do it. Uh, succeeding David Carr, who'd been a mentor and friend of mine. I'd worked for him. I called the publisher of City Paper to accept the job. And I couldn't reach her. Like it was pre-cell phone. I just didn't, I wasn't able to reach her. Then this is going to, I'm just going to sound like such an asshole here. Uh, then, Too late. Then I learned that I was a finalist for a prize doing, for reporting. And that I it was a prize that it was a prestigious prize. And I was like for writing and reporting that I'd done. And I realized like, oh, I don't think I want to go be an editor now. I think I want to write and report. And so the publisher called me back and I turned the job down. And, and it was stayed at Slate. And stayed at Slate. And like, and then was that for the Harper's later. piece on uh, South Carolina? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was for that. Great and, piece about gambling. Yeah. Um, gambling. Well, wait, I that would, doesn't sound that jerky. I don't know, but it was it was because of the ego, like, oh, I'm a finalist for a prize. That well, no, was repeating. But it was also realizing not, that you had success in something that you wanted to do I, more. Yeah, but it wasn't yeah. it wasn't the internal success of having written a good piece. It was the status of somebody recognizing it. No, so that's, I don't think I don't okay. think, I think you're being too hard to on yourself. I think back sometimes. But what's interesting I, about that story is then you did become an editor. Yes. So maybe it's not that life changing, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to point that part out. I think this is a really roundabout way to talk about that prize you won. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't win. That was the thing. I didn't, then I didn't win it. Wow. <laughs> it was oh, well. too late to accept the job. Good story. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> it was a great story, though, the South Carolina one. Yeah. Uh, Brian Mills asks us via email. I think I'm going to change this. Well, well, I'll modify it slightly. You get to have access to only one of these mediums for the rest of your life and must discard all others. Books podcasts and audiobooks not included or television you have to live off one you have to live off one of those yeah well it's i mean books books yeah television that's super uh, yeah i mean so we say that do we really mean that let's think about whether we really yeah. mean that oh, we yeah. really mean yeah, it you really mean that Be- and why why cuz think about you have a much wider range of global and human experience captured in books than in than in all of the recorded television that's that's been done, and then secondarily, if the the interior life of books is a richer, the which isn't to say that the immersive experience is more constantly accessible in books than than in television, which isn't to say that television isn't deeply immersive in in certain ways, but just not in the way Do that you a think book this, is. Does this question? Could you not read the New Yorker, for example? Is it all reading? would be wiped out or just the book form of reading? I was thinking we were just talking about books, but it yeah. is true that we've left out whether you lose and uh, you lose all other kinds of written material. What if it was only periodicals or newspapers you had to choose? Oh, periodicals. You could only read periodicals or newspapers? Yeah. Oh, periodicals. Definitely. In fact, yeah. Sometimes I want to switch to that now, <laughs> even though I can read the newspaper. Um, I would definitely choose TV. I would I would definitely choose TV. I know, like, why? I, because I'm not, I'm not a smug, sanctimonious person. No, but why? 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 Because I, I am honest enough to recognize that I spend a lot more, I spend a lot more time watching television and being absorbed by the 
emotional uh, stories of television and, and, you feel and the like sights and sounds of television. And as long as I was able to read, as long as I was able to 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 read a great Emily Bazelon story, I'm pandering to you now. Uh-huh. Great Emily Bazelon story I in the New York that. Times. Uh, magazine, can I then the, I think it would be okay. Can I ask the audience a question? Audience, uh, st- stay with me here for a moment. Who among the three of us mentions the books they've read on the show more? And is super fast at reading, We'll too. start with John, <laughs> Emily, David. What did you just prove? You said you weren't a sanctimonious book person, but you mention books on the show all the time. Beca- yeah, because part of my job is to do cocktail chatter and to share with the good people here, also, things though, I've enjoyed. I also mention a lot of TV shows that I watch. That's true, but you read books so quickly and you remember them I know. and retain your them. So you really think like that you get more pleasure from television? Like You're truly? a self-hating book reader. I'm not, I would not choose to give up books. This is, not, this is not like a thing I'm looking forward to. But given... I'm honestly assessing, like, given given the option, would I would I give up books Why over not? television? Yeah, let's check the audience. Okay, we're you're gonna have your choice. Wait, you, we have to do podcasts. Yeah, too, no, no. Which is very so you, sweet. Which which so. thing are you only going to consume? Is it going to be book, podcast, television? So the the thing you are only going to consume. Who would only consume books? <laughs> Who would only consume podcasts? Oh, that's so great. That's Andy Bowers. Andy Bowers is doing that. <laughs> Who would only consume television? Books one. Books, books one? I think books one. Uh, let's do one more from our list here. Sean Murray asks, a person physically pushes or hits you oh, yeah. and other people in public. When you confront the person, they begin to take video of you on their phone. What do you do? I mean, this you... question struck me as odd. Why? Because you can't imagine that happening? It, that could totally well, imagine that happening. Well, I can't happening. imagine it happening repeatedly. You mean right? like one hit and then... Well, no. I just out. think the, the, the question, the way of the question I read it, or maybe the way it was asked, those are two different possibilities. It made it seem like this was happening a lot in Sean's life. No, no. I think you imagine it happening Okay, it just one, happens one once. Person. And then they start. Yeah. Okay. All right. I mean, what would you do, Emily? You become much more self-conscious, I think, and probably you try to be less aggressive and tone it down, and you imagine then you're performing and that whatever's being taped could be used against you in some unknown situation. What I find weird about the question is that you're clearly the victim, and then the aggressor is then filming you, right? Right, but presumably you've come back from being the victim and you're trying to stand up for yourself or fight back or you're yelling at the person. Otherwise, it doesn't really make sense if you're just like lying on the ground. What if you you see a cop doing bad things and you film and you start to film that cop and the cop stops? Do you stop? Do you cop, stop the cop filming? tells you to stop filming. Oh, no, you don't stop. Well, I mean, it depends how nervous you are for your physical safety. No, you don't have to stop filming. You can keep filming. No, you do can. You do do you? Do you? I mean, I hope that, yeah, you do. If you're seeing something, you think, I mean, then they've turned their attention to you, so then they're not doing what they were doing, unless it's another cop. I think that it's really, yeah, if you can possibly keep filming, then you keep filming. You know, we, you know what we didn't ever wrestle with once was, I, I once saw this father just reaming out his, like, 10-year-old son in yeah. every possible swear word, so just abusive words, bullying. But scary Well, I words. mean, like, w- words enough to make me, you know, nervous, and, and I wasn't the 10-year-old anything? boy. No, I just kind of got out of the car and kind of walked in their area, and so he, like, ultimately kind of stopped. 
But I want to know what the what the approved response. Uh, and was this somebody you knew or not? No, no, somebody who was playing on the opposing uh, baseball team of uh, hmm. of my son. But right, I mean, what's a, best practices here at the? Uh, that's a hard one because you might be making it worse by intervening. On the other hand, if you are physically there, then you're a part of the interaction in some way. And if you don't speak up, then you're making it seem like you. But think what's it's the, okay. what is this? What's the speaking up that you would do? That would not make it worse. I, I'm not. I mean, you could try to say, right "Hey, to do. you know, in a very calm way, like, hey, calm down." So, but oh, people don't no, like to be told to calm. Down. Yes, they don't like yeah. to be right. told to calm down. Right. No. But so, Our no, seriously, JM said uh, just that you just say, "Heavy, everything okay here?" Ah, like you. That would. Uh, That's much better than yeah. "Hey, calm down," because yeah. it, it's open ended. What, right. what if you knew the person? Do you have some? obligation to go to that person's spouse yeah. to go to them and talk to them about it to go to authorities at school authorities what what is your obligation oh, under wow. that circumstance that's a good that's a good question you can tweet about it i guess <laughs> uh, i think that's a the going question. to the person's partner if they have a partner who you think you could that would be helpful you have to know some that's tricky because then you're entering into this relationship but you wrote a book about this come on which is for sale <laughs> What you wrote a book about this? What's well, there is so one of the concepts in bullying prevention is the idea of the upstander that kids are supposed to not be bystanders; they're supposed to stand up in a moment, and that does mean speaking out when it's uncomfortable. And the tricky thing about doing that is that you sometimes are in a situation where you're trying to read it quickly, but you don't really know what's going on, and that is. You can make a mistake, but definitely the message from preventing bullying is that bullying usually takes place in front of an audience, but when kids speak up, they can make it stop. In the universe of kids, there is always an authority that you can go to that ought to be involved in a, in a uh, munificent way. With adults, right. there isn't, and so it makes it Right, trickier. and one of the things parents often talk about is that they don't know how to address bullying by kids who have parents they're intimidated by or just not fond of because that often the parents kind of part of the problem and there's no shared community norm for the parents. Right. Tough one. All right. Let's, let's go to a, a more pleasant one from Nick. My question was, is it really better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all? <laughs> What's, and do you want to take a throw at that? Well, I don't know, because I think presumably we've all loved. So, like, no one can really answer the question. Oh. Yeah, that's, I mean, isn't that always Well, the- no, that's not true. I mean, there, you, certainly I had moments in my life before which I had, I had not fallen in love. I mean, I'd loved my parents, but I, I hadn't fallen in love. So, there, so you could get, go so through life with never, without ever falling love. in love. Let's, talk, let's yeah, have it be yeah, romantic, romantic love, love we're talking about. Yeah. Right. So, so you could choose never to to choose. You could choose well, never to fall in love, and and it might be that might be fine, right? And if you fall in love and then really have your heart broken in a terrible way, and that, that you don't, that's like a rupture, then you would probably be better off without that experience. Well, and it also depends what initiates the rupture. If it's if it's the other person, or if it's you know if it's death or something on that, that because that would. Uh, change, I get. I would imagine you're because if you're rejected, that's different. Than I th- I, let's being... assume it's rejection. So you're, no. here we are. You're you're 18 years old, 22 years old, 32 years old. You <laughs> fall in love for the first time. It is amazing. Person is incredible. You throw yourself into it, and then boom, 
She and brings about, the hammer. Right. And they, the person disappears, too. Something that, like, leaves you feeling... She goes to the song, future. Because that's torture. <laughs> that's torture. <laughs> that, she did use that line with me. It's like, Isn't I built it? a time machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was interesting. I, that... I didn't believe it. Um, and, but what if you, ne- you love and lose, and then you never, you never fall in love again? Like, all you've had is that fucking misery. That huge disappointment. Well, why, is that so much, why is that so much better... Right. Than never, than never having exposed yourself. Well, if you think of romantic love as only one of a lot of different kinds of love and affection you can have in your life, then why privilege it? Why do we think it's the pinnacle? And and then you can think of it as sure, of course, you would give up that kind of misery, and maybe you would be better off. On the other hand, if feeling emotion is the most vital part of being a human being, then do you really give up feeling strong emotion, even if it's like the worst emotion? Because that is when we're the most alive, right? Right. Yeah, you're the most alive. But but what if it, but what if you're, you know, then, then you afterwards, you indeed are feeling strong emotion for years. You're feeling the strong emotion of incredible disappointment and sorrow and loss. And that can be really warping. Yeah, is that is that? I mean, I feel like this is this is how you know Doctor Evil is the backstory for every villain is they've loved and then they've lost and it's just made them dark and bitter and disappointed and they're never able to to love again. But I think the the real answer is that we recover and we learn right. to love it, learn to love again. <laughs> Do you guys uh, want to pick one here? What fictional city or other locale would you most like to inhabit? Well, I grew up. In, with the Oz books, so I would like to live in the Emerald City, with so, uh, married okay. to Ozma. I thought about that too, but then I was thinking, well, okay, so there's this like kind of weird monarch figure who's not really wise. They did a super well, job. No, no, of this is a, this is post wizard. It's Ozma, so okay, this is in the but, Ozma reign. All right, but she okay, is sixteen, better. and I am forty six, so that's. Also, Bad. you stay at your age forever, so that's another problem. Do you remember anything else? That, like, are there enough specifics that we could be sure would be a good place to live? They were constantly having, in all those, there were always problems. The Gnome stuff. King invaded a lot. But generally, yeah. no, it ended pretty well. And there was magic and... and uh, what about Hogwarts? <laughs> I think it would be ba- a bag end for me. Although, I mean, I'd have to be, sh- I'd have to be short. I wouldn't want to hit my head all a the time. furry toes. Bag end what period? Oh... Right, we just move out old Samwise Gamgee. Sorry, Sam, I'm coming. Don't in. you think it, I would have thought that, You'd that want, it would be uh, so boring in Bag End? Oh God, no. nothing ever happened. A little bit of the pipe weed and your and your. Oh my God, no! You just it would be so gentle. No, it would definitely you. I think bucolic. Well, the question no, it's actually, English no, country living, to, which is awful. It's totally stultifying. Oh, no. It'd be so really? gentle and lovely. English country living is totally stultifying. Oh, no. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. No, no. You'd have good meals. to be had. You'd have two Well, if you had adventures, that's different. Well, that's, the, that's why your question is so interesting about what period. Because you, if you're of an adventuresome sort, you might want to live there. But then you'd have all this peril hanging over your head while you were away because you'd think that the Shire was going to get torched. I'm in a fi- I'm in a kind of uh, a post. I'm in a Samwise Gamgee mood, mood at the moment, yes, so right. I think okay. I want to I want to live there then. And Hogwarts because you'd be at school all the time. Well, yeah, but would you be a teacher? You'd be what would you be? Oh, what would you a teach? Student. Oh, uh, I the the plant uh, the the sm- the short guy who teaches all about the plants. I liked that class be the a plants. lot, but I don't remember. Can we give her an assist? Who's the short guy who teaches about the plants? 
Sprout. Yeah. Sprout. Sprout. Huh, I wonder how they came up with his name. (laughs) The... (laughs) Which house would you be? You definitely be... What's the Smarty Pants house? Ravenclaw. 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 You're a Ravenclaw through and through. I think I'm going to send you to Slytherin for that. I'm definitely... If we housed us, I would definitely be the most Slytherin. You would be... Ravenclaw. John, Thanks. John, you, John is like, is sure. he a Hufflepuff or is he a Gryffindor? I don't know. Could go either way. I don't think, uh, no. <laughs> I don't think, he, not Hufflepuff. <laughs> Hufflepuff sounds like a rejected McDonald's you character. Are, you're it's just like, like, the you, Hamburglar and Hufflepuff. Wait, oh, come on. John, first of all, you just said you wanted to be a Hobbit, which is the, the Hobbit is the Hufflepuffliest no, fictional no, but, character uh, of all no, time. But Hufflepuff- I have another idea. What about Sesame Street? What about Ooh. Sesame Street? Living, Living there? Living on Sesame Street. You get to hang out with Oscar the Grouch. How do you get there? I don't know, but <laughs> I totally wanted to live there when I was a kid. I'll tell you. Can let you, me. I'll you, tell you how. I'll tell you, you how to get tell there. Tell me how to get to Sesame Street. <laughs> I don't know. The, you, you guys talk about you want to read books all the time. It'd be like sponsor. Oh, it's the letter no, A. Oh, again, the it's the letter is a, a. Book. Oh. The number four, great. <laughs> I'm not. Scary? I'm not arguing for Sesame Street. Store? I'm going to be at Bag End writing with great ink and tea and farthing weed and. Uh, what about the bar in Star Wars? I want to go hang out at that bar. To live, we, we, I think live. live. I want to live in the bar. <laughs> okay. All right. We have a question from Liz Weeks. You're a presidential campaign manager for hire. You know for sure you want to be involved in this election. Opting out is not an option. The field you have to choose from is any of the fictional characters used in advertisements for children's cereals. <laughs> Lucky from Lucky Charms, Trix Rabbit, Tony the Tiger, etc. Which of these characters do you choose to work for and why? What does their platform look like? How do you smooth over their weaknesses and highlight their strengths? Please be specific. This is like an SAT exam question. Uh, Tony the Tiger, yeah. obviously. Yeah, is it which it's one like you? The they're great. Yeah, no, Tony the Tiger. It's also he's orange. Which you work he's for? orange, ultra confident. <laughs> what about the Count Chocula guy? Captain Crunch has been is a, is a possible Crunch. option, but uh... Captain, he's got a military. He's got a strong record of military yeah. service. What about the right? He's a captain. He's 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 served honorably, yes, but. Um, but let us not forget Crunchberries. He's firm. He's firm. He, although I'm a huge fan Crunch of Crunchberries, but I was, I was trying to make the case that Crunchberries was a huge deviation in his otherwise sterling career. <laughs> but I, I love Crunchberries. That's like his bad escapade. Right. Yeah. Um, I think the problem with Count Chocula is that he was not born in America. Um, he has a foreign title. No, you, under the Constitution, Slovakian. you should know you may not have a title. You have to renounce all foreign titles. Oh, David, the Constitution. Don't be so silly. We don't yeah. worry about that. Yeah, it's all, it's your narrative is your narrative, my narrative is my narrative. No so what is, what is Count Chocolate, what's he, what's he running under? What's his campaign? Hmm. Chocolate for everyone. A chocolate in every Bowl. dessert. Bowl. <laughs> the Lucky Charms guy, there's a, that's, that's, it's strong economic policy. <laughs> Gold standard, he'd be uh, for the gold standard. He would definitely be for. He would definitely be sort of hazy. He would definitely be for legalization across (laughs) the country. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. That that's a that's a strong candidate. What he would, 
He would be. He's like the. Fr- he's like the a green plus, like, like many like Gary Johnson figure. Like, uh, not like very smart, but appealing. Like many great American politicians, also has Irish heritage. Right. I think he. I think it would work. I think that would be good. The rabbit. Uh, what is? What does the know, tricks I rabbit do? I can't remember the tricks rabbit so well. Tricks are for kids. Tricks are for kids. Tricks are for kids. That's a little sinister at this point. Tricks are for kids. <laughs> um, anyone have any other other candidates for that? The Rice Krispie guys. The there are elves? three of them, right? Yeah. yeah. Snap, crackle, and pop. pop. Snap, crackle, and pop. Yeah. The, the idea of a, honeybee. I thought the idea of a co-presidency won't work. You can't have snap, crackle, and pop. I don't know. I think you can sign up your whole family to be in your government <laughs> and run your business. It works really well, actually. It's like are they, bro- are they brothers? That's a are new kind of family. Yeah. Are they brothers? Our snap, crackle, and pop, you would think maybe is the father. I don't think so. I and think so no, snap no. and crackle are like... The no, Eric and Don the Jr. No, he's always trying to make that case, but it's just the sound he makes. You yeah. can't. You're they not. They all the, look the, the same age. I think they're brothers or friends. Hmm. Very close friends. <laughs> well, let's let's uh, we'll do a vote. Who who of our strongest candidates? Uh, Tony well, the Tony the Tiger, Tony the, Tiger uh, the Lucky Charms, and and Captain Crunch. So what about uh, Captain Chocula? Okay, we'll to, we'll dump Captain Crunch for Captain yeah. Chocula. Okay. Oh, oh, we'll do them God. both. We'll do them both. We'll oh, do them both. God. Okay, like so. Cincinnati, <laughs> Captain Crunch is carried aloft on the shoulders of the people. <laughs> okay, so your choices are me: Count Chocula, Captain Crunch, uh, the Lucky Charms guy who probably has a name. Remember, immigrants Tony get the, the job done. Tony okay. the Tiger. Immigrants cannot be president. Okay, so who wants Count Chocula? Thanks. I appreciate it. Who that. wants Captain Crunch? Make wow. a case? Oh, we didn't make a case. Who wants the Lucky Charms leprechaun? And who wants Tony the Tiger? I think it's a runoff. We need a runoff now Captain between Crunch Captain Crunch and, Tony and Tiger. no, and uh, Lucky Charms. And Lucky Charms. Okay. Who wants Captain Crunch? Who wants Lucky Charms leprechaun? Oh my God! It's going to the House of Representatives. <laughs> We get to we can Henry now we're gonna Clay vote now we're gonna vote the three we're gonna, gonna pass our votes yeah oh I vote for Lucky Charms yeah me too huh you are so soci- I don't you like are socialist yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I think much like the cereal itself we have gotten a little soggy and we should move on John won't even tell us his choice oh, no. between <laughs> Lucky Charms John is really worried the CBS executives it. might. Yeah. Oh, no. They might hear. No, no. Well, there's nothing I can do to... uh, It doesn't have to be unanimous, so I'm already beat. It's two Lucky Charms to one Captain Crunch. (laughs) Right? Uh, Yeah. So? We didn't know you were voting for Captain Crunch. Well, I mean, but I just thought I would move on since I was obviously beaten. Okay. Uh, We're just going to do a couple more, and then we'll go to Slate Plus. So we're going to do one more from uh, the audience. Julie Tagle, like Bagel, are you there? So my question is, would you rather be a public school teacher now or in the days of the one-room schoolhouse. Are you, and are you, Julie Tegel, like Bagel, a public school teacher? Uh, I am actually now an assistant principal of oh. Open School. Nice. Awesome. Nice. Go to Miss Tegel's office. Seems uh, like it'd be really hard to deal with the one-room schoolhouse. All those different ages and levels of ability. Right, and you are probably only 17 years old when you're teaching in it. If you're Laura Ingalls Wilder, that's true. That's the only model I have is Laura Ingalls Wilder. She had trouble with those boys. Remember that? Yeah. 
Um, I'm sorry, did you get this knowledge that you're talking about from a book? <laughs> also, you could also, also got a it TV from a TV show. show. I don't know. Did that happen on the TV? I didn't watch the TV show, actually. I don't know. Uh, John, what do you think? Huh. I like the romanticism of the one-room schoolhouse, but it would have been, I think it would have, well, gosh, I don't know. It also depends on where you are and what public school it is. Sorry to complicate it. Uh, what would be easier or preferable about it? You would be in a small community. You would maybe have higher status, actually. There is a lot of respect for teachers, perhaps. That's a yeah, problem Yeah, I feel like the student-teacher ratio is... Um, might have even well, maybe wouldn't maybe it wasn't bad. Well, how big did these classes get in a one room schoolhouse, right? Because if you think it's like twenty kids, you would have when you could just split them up, have them do different things during the day, and then you'd have like four, you know, seventh graders, and then you'd have four It'd be juniors. A lot of lesson and, planning. I think it's still a lot of lesson planning, and there's still an argument that it's a one room schoolhouse going on right now because of all the different levels. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Well played. <laughs> so let's see. What are the better things about now? You're probably you're paid more. You're paid more. Rel- I mean, those teachers were terribly paid in the one room schoolhouse days. Do you um, have more professional. You don't support have to, or development. You can live. Uh, you don't. A one room schoolhouse is intrinsically a sort of remote rural community, and you can live in a city in a city like that. Um, and you could also have your own curriculum. I think then too. <laughs> Is that right, a plus then? or a minus, though? <laughs> it depends on where you stand, I guess. Yeah. Right. You wouldn't have t- tons of standardized testing to deal with. <clears throat> hmm. But the bullies. They but they would read your book, which they would, would have bought, <laughs> and they would just sure. take care of those boys. So the n- 2016 election exposed a clear rural-urban divide. Try saying that twice. In the electorate, people don't seem to know about the concerns or hardships of their fellow Americans who live in other places or come from different backgrounds or to have empathy for them. Beyond moving from the city to a rural area or vice versa, what can we do as Americans to gain understanding of people who live in different cultural or geographic contexts? And I would actually frame this as, should you get married to someone who has political beliefs you find reprehensible just to make America a better place? Wait, that's... That's a different question. I know, it? but it felt like more interesting to me, that version of it. More extreme um, and dramatic. Do you yeah, just that's pick a anyone that's... you disagree with and just figure well, out? Okay. okay, no, what, so what's... All right, let's do the, the rural, urban, rural. the rural juror. What sh- is this what, what we should do or what people should what, do? What Because what if you already know that this... Ex- I mean, that's... Well, it's a different know? question. It's, not, it's about bridging it. How it, are you going to bridge it? It is different so question this is for, jur- for journalists because we... Some of us spend all of our time doing this. So, so I, my answer to this is that you don't... Conti- so you can use social media as like a little bit of this by having a feed that incorporates people with different views, but you can't stop at social media. You can't think that that's your way of really interacting with people. You have to get out and meet people and talk to people and find opportunities to strike up conversations with people who are different from you. Right. But how are you actually going to do that? Well, you, I you mean, live in New Haven. It's not that well, hard. Well, but she does it. I mean, but you can't you can make it a journalist. Like if you're a regular person, how would you do it? I, but I don't think it's actually that hard. Even so, I mean, I live in a really blue city and I live in a pretty blue state, but it's not that blue. All I have to do is drive for 15 minutes and I'm in a place where there are plenty of people who vote differently than I do. Also, here's a di- here's a slightly different question. So I, for example, have a my in-laws are Trump supporters, right? But they live in Queens. Their vote doesn't 
matter and they you know they live in an urban they live in an urban america that is quite similar to the urban america i live in is it more important for me to to engage with them about politics or is it more important for me to actually be physical is the is the physical proximity the issue that we need to as a as americans be physically more in touch with people who are very unlike ourselves i think i think yes just because that's part of the problem is we all silo each other and hum- the human connection is crucial. And actually, you can't bridge that through social media. So you right. should get your ass into the Other rest places. of the country. Right. And that includes both. <laughs> and also, by, here's the thing, though. Rural America knows about New York City. I mean, they come to New York City. You don't go to Pocatello. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, th- I don't think that's, I think that's the kind of classic Dickersonian romanticization of rural America. I don't think that's it's true like their, their, their perceptions. I mean, people's perceptions of what the, the kind of urban elite is like in rural America is as misperceived. It's as misguided as my perception is what's going on outside of Pocatello. And you know this because you've been there? Well, I've been there at times in my life and in moments, and certainly I've talked to people from there and sort of felt that what they misunderstanding me as I misunderstand them. I don't know yeah, why. I, I don't know don't why you that... would ascribe that kind of knowledge and that kind of expertise to people. I know I... why you do it because you like have this notion, oh, that that there's this romantic, like better America that's in rural America, and we Actually, urban think... elitists and we urban elitists don't get it. But All I just I think see... that's just like a load of hoo ha, John. All I really I... do. Well, that that would be a load of hoo if that's, in fact, what I said. But you were uh, saying that they... No, I'm saying they you, spend you more say, time in New York than you spend. People come to cities... That's not true. That's I, not even true. You don't think people true. come to New York I don't to see that, Broadway or to, to York, like, but, see the But people who Empire live in State cities building? leave the city to go on to, trips and vacations all the time. People, but they go to vacations into, like, rural Iowa? They go to vacations in places with national parks sometimes. National or, parks are rural or, uh, or, or rural America? No, the, but on the in that world, people are different from you. Not if you in just fa- stay. Because in fact, the urban elite, John, travels a, a lot more than... Like the, that's right, the thing. The right. urban elite does travel more and is out more. And I'm, you know, often people that's going. Trips, often that's going to Austin. It's going to, it's going to Marfa. It's going to Marfa. But I'm not but, saying they don't leave but, the cities. I'm saying that they don't. It depends how you get there and how you organize your trip. But certainly if you take a road trip, you go through the towns in America. There are lots of trips that involve I just don't even understand where you get this idea, except you you want to believe it, where you get this idea that that rural Americans have have clear, well-conceived, well-formulated, deeply detailed, accurate knowledge of... Of what's I, going also, on in the bell house. Which part of the city cannot, are you talking I about? Can, I mean, I cannot, I cannot keep up with the things you think I'm saying. All I'm saying. That's it. Also, your classic. <laughs> that is exactly what you said a minute ago. I, did I say that? More or less. Here's the thing. If you live in Sioux City, it's more likely that you're going to come to New York City than that David Plotz is going to go from Washington D.C. to Sioux City. If you weren't a journalist. It's just more likely that's going to happen. People are going to go through the major cities. That's just there. That's they have they have attractions there more than people from New York City or Washington are going to go to. When, but that doesn't mean that that doesn't come, mean they understand it better. It means they've made a visit to a place and, and like a part of the so city my point. We were visit. talking about proximity between people. That's where I w- I was taking just the next step after that. I was not taking step 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 step, step all the way where you got me. I'm just saying we're talking about. Human interaction with people. So it's more likely that a person from Sioux City is going to come to Washington than you are going to go to Sioux City. So if we're talking about how do people from the cities 
come in close proximity with these people in their worlds, then your habits are different than their habits. Therefore, what would you do to change your habits to go to those places? So two things. One is that when people are tourists in cities, at least when I'm a tourist in cities, I don't necessarily go to all the parts of the cities that are super representative or show me, right? You're in a sort of tourist setting, which is limited in its own way. And I also am not sure that I think that, I mean, who knows? We don't have good data here, but you might, it's less likely that David would go to Sioux City, but not less likely that he would go to any mid-sized city or town in the country in that same. And with the, right? Yeah. Also, by the way, earlier, weren't you saying that you learn stuff on road trips? If you can learn stuff on a road trip, you learn something on a trip to New York City, even though you're not. You learn something, but I, I, my experience of visiting places is that the more it's a city that is organized around certain paths for tourists, actually the less, right? right. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not, I was not making my case on, I'm just saying their patterns of behavior are different and they spend more time in the places, in urban places than urban people spend time in rural places as a part of their habits. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there is a flight to the rural areas on weekends uh, among people who make, the you know, yeah, <laughs> among middle-class Americans. Maybe it's happening and I've missed it. But so, Nantucket. So, so forget Aspen. Um, for, Aspen. <laughs> for, let's set this aside for a minute. To go back to the question, how do you bridge the divide? Is it really that you don't have to go that far to find people who are in a rural area? Mo- right? Most cities have a city limit. It's not well, I, that inaccessible. Right. And usually in your life, you know some of those people have some reason, right. whether it's your kid's sports, something right. Right. that connects well, you. Well, that's the point. And then that- it's like, how deep do you let right. those? Yeah. So you might, you, the, your point about you go not to like visit just the geographical area, but you find there is some tie in community, whether it's religion or sports or, you know, um, uh, some shared thing that allows you to bond over that shared thing and that shared humanity that then, you know, occludes all the other political stuff or doesn't even make it a part of the conversation. So that more than the geographical. Now, I guess if you put enough people in close enough proximity, they would discover the own, their own common humanity, hopefully. I, I kind of think that really living together is the only one, though. I think people do have to live together. I don't think it's enough to go to even to do small things that it has to be sort of lived experience over a serious long period of time. And that's well, what that's the lesson of the tough. big sword is that we just don't live together. Right. And that's what's causing more and more of these bad things. Um, I'm tired of just talking to you two. We're going to bring up a guest for the last part of the show. Please join us in welcoming Stephen Colbert. You agree with me, right? <laughs> I, Don't agree with I him. I hate hearing you guys fight like this. <laughs> it's just agonizing. It's like watching your children argue. It's so terrible because normally I don't mind you fighting when it's not in front of a live audience. When it's just you guys in the studio, I'm like, well, that's okay. I'm just sitting with friends at lunch, but this is unseemly. It's in front of the kids. In front of the kids, honey. I can't do this in public. There are people watching. We have company over. Please don't do this. I know this is how families behave, but come on. Face for the friends or something. Hi. Hello. Hey. How's everybody been? Well, you know. I'm only here to check on David because he's been sounding so fragile for the last several months. And yeah. the rest of us not? You, I know you can take a lot of punishment. I've interviewed you a bunch. And this one I get to see every Sunday. But David, 
David, okay. you know. I'm okay. Really? Yeah. I feel because I leading up to leading up to the you. election, you were really I was I was upset leading up yeah. to the election. Yeah. But it's um but I was I was saying to someone uh just right before the show is that I'm a natural pessimist. I assume the worst is going to happen. And so then I always feel better. I'm a happy person because I assume the worst is going to happen. And then usually the worst doesn't happen. And so I, I'm like happy about it, but this time the worst happened. And so it's just, it was kind of like what I expected. I, I listened to the show we did the day after the election. I've just sounded very calm because it was, really you sounded the medicated the day. after the election. <laughs> I wrote you about it. Like, <laughs> there's a fine line between like professionalism and complete psychic implosion. <laughs> Admirable though. Admirable. John 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 also held it together, which was good. You all did. All right. We're gonna You do- are a rock for me. The three of you are a rock for me on a weekly basis. Now I didn't hear the beginning of the show, and I'm very happy I didn't. I had my stupid show to do, so I missed the beginning of your show. And I'm glad because this is my weekly rock. Like I, I measure out my days in 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 gab fests. Like every week is like that is it. Uh, to the gab fest. Long may she wave. <laughs> Here's a conundrum for you guys. By from Phil Goldstein. What is the most graceful animal? I mean, I really like gazelles. I know that's a boring answer, but so I was trying to think, do you pick a bird, like a swooping bird, or do you pick a mammal? And I decided that the running of a really fast, graceful running creature is my favorite thing. I just want to be in that body so much when that's happening. All right. That's good. Okay. Uh, any kind of animal, the most graceful animal? Yeah. Any kind of animal. Yeah. Uh, the ballerina Tyler Peck. Have you ever seen her dance? No. Jesus wept. I think, you know what? I think a species, actually. Because so she's in the same species as me. And no, that, she's no, not. No. <laughs> we could interbreed. I think I'm confident we could interbreed. I'm confident no we could interbreed. No way. Um, that doesn't, I'm disqualifying that. Any species that's not human. John. I have, John. A, go, I have a go-to answer on this. Which on all is? questions related to animals. Whether they be fish or trees. George. And so, no, the, the audience will anticipate my answer, which is? Dolphin. Dolphin. <laughs> the dolphin's the most graceful, beautiful animal. <laughs> the panda. <laughs> You're just like. They I, don't move much. <laughs> why are you trolling? Why are you trolling? You're a guest. <laughs> Man. Uh huh. You haven't answered yet. Mine is, my answer would be a, a giraffe because giraffes are, they look like they're not going to be graceful and then you watch them move and they move so majestically. What about how they have those really long tongues though? I'd say That's cheetahs. A, I'd say cheetahs then. Because? That's a good choice. Because it moves so fluidly. It's the fastest land animal and yet it, it still moves fluidly and it can turn and it is beautiful in repose. <laughs> are we in Slate Plus yet? No, we're about to go to Slate Plus. Okay. Our intern is Kevin Townsend. Our producer is Jocelyn Frank. Faith Smith produced this show, this live show at the Bell House. Steve Lichtai is executive producer of Slate Podcasts. Andy Bowers, who's here tonight, is the chief content officer for Panoply. We're part of the Panoply Network. Check out our entire roster of podcasts at iTunes.com slash Panoply. Our show page is Slate.com slash GabFest, which has links to what we talked about today. Our Facebook page is Facebook.com slash GabFest. Our Twitter feed is at SlateGabFest. Our email address is GabFest at Slate.com. Please subscribe to the GabFest 
in iTunes and leave a comment and rating. For Emily Bazelon and John Dickerson and Stephen Colbert, I'm David Plotz. We'll talk to you in 2017.